Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Kathy Slay has supported independent tech news directly for five years. Slay like Kathy. Become a DTNS member at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Wednesday, April 3rd, 2019 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. From the bowels of Salt Lake City, I'm Scott Johnson. Mm. And uh, from the outside of any bowels, I'm Roger Shane, the show's producer. <laughs> yeah. Good you place know, to say, be, Rod. Good yeah, place to too be. Too dark to read inside of bowels or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about uh, and also a Facebook uh, privacy breach. But let's start with a few tech things you should know. New WhatsApp settings give users some control over who can add them to group chats without their approval. The settings are either nobody, which requires you to accept an invitation to be added. My contacts, which lets people in your contacts list add you to groups without an invitation. And anybody, which, as the name suggests, lets anybody add you to any group without needing your approval first. The new settings start rolling out today and will be worldwide in a few weeks. Well, speaking of social interactions, the ability for Google Assistant to use Google Duplex to call restaurants to make reservations is rolling out to non-Pixel Android phones and iOS phones. Uh, Google Duplex uses text-to-speech and AI to call restaurants for you over the phone. It's been available for Pixel phone users in 43 states um, for a while now. Android users need Android 5.0 or higher, and iOS users need to have Google Assistant installed on your phone. Sources tell Reuters that Japan Display will supply OLED screens to Apple for its smartwatches later this year. Japan Display has been late to the OLED market and has been losing money as the market for LCD screens declines. Uh, Japan Display gets more than half of its revenue from Apple, so they need to provide some OLED screens to Apple. Samsung, LG, and several Chinese makers dominate the OLED display market right now. Samsung is the exclusive supplier of OLED screens for phones to Apple, while LG supplies OLED screens for Apple Watches at the moment. And Google released the second Android Q developer preview for Pixel phones and, among other things, it includes a foldable screen emulator for developers. The emulator uses screen dimensions that match the Huawei Mate X and Samsung Galaxy Folds. Oh, look at that. 
All right, let's talk a little bit more about 5G. Scott, who is winning the 5G mobile service race? Ah, uh, 5G. You've heard about it for years. Finally, someone's in the race. Uh, South Korea was set to become the first country to launch commercial 5G mobile service Friday. Not a huge shock to people who follow. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high volume, high speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. Uh, stuff in that region of the world. But Verizon flipped the switch early on its service in Chicago and Minnesota. Ooh. Woo! USA, I guess. Uh, the Motorola Z3 is the only phone currently available in the U.S. that can take advantage of the service, and customers will pay an extra 10 bucks a month to access it. Uh, nothing comes free, folks. Multiple carriers will launch South, uh, in South Korea Friday. SK Telecom expects 1 million 5G customers by the end of the year, that being 2019. And KT Corp is offering its 5G plans with unlimited data at a lower price than its LTE plans. The mm-hmm. Samsung Galaxy S10 5G can be used on the service uh, there, and LG will release its 5G-capable phone in Korea later this month. Lots of 5G going on, and I guess we got it turned on first. I want to know how many Z3 customers will be like, yeah, I want to pay an extra $10 a month for this because I'm first. I want to buy a Z3 and the 5G module and pay an extra $10 a month, and I live in Minnesota or Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's also not, speed. it's not like all of Minnesota. It's it's not even all of Chicago. It's like around the loop in Chicago and a few other areas. So it's you're real limited on where you can actually use it. But boy, you can show it off to your friends if you're in the loop or one of those other areas. Well, um, one of the I mean, I know you guys have talked to death on this show about uh, <laughs> Google Stadia and other plans. Part of their part of their ass, ass, uh, assumption, I think is that 5G will be so permeated by the time that those services are ramped up 
that that will give them a huge advantage because that's enough speed and capacity to run what they claim to be able to run on phones and and mobile devices and smaller devices in a wireless way. So so 5G has all kinds of implications for me as as someone who follows the gaming industry and is watching this cloud business very closely. But uh, uh, yeah, it's going to have to start with phones and I'm not surprised people are going to have to pay extra for it because, you know, welcome to how we do things. You seem to be ignoring the fact that you don't have to pay extra for it in South Korea. In fact, if you're on KT Corp in South Korea, you pay less for 5G because that's a competitive market. Uh, it's right. not it's not one wild, lawless cowboy uh, mobile carrier deciding to just flip its switch whenever it wants. No, South Korea is very ordered uh, and everyone is launching their 5G service at the same time on Friday. Uh, yeah, you got your service faster in Minnesota and Chicago, but it's going to like you said, it's going to cost you. Whereas in South Korea, you've got some competition. So they they have to do things to entice you onto their network. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited about it. It's like I feel like. Uh the nebulous talk of 5g has gone on too long it's time to actually have a service so let's go i'm well, ready Scott, your your point of you know it, if there's a gaming service that relies on a speed that works then then it'll be so- somewhat obvious to everybody like oh okay this works right now the story is still 5g okay we have to pay more for it That's really- <laughs> yeah. how much better is it really well day, we're always like that though and tom makes a really good point about you know a competitive market versus one that's less so you know, how long were we paying extra for characters used in text messages? And like that stuff has a, has a kind of a die hard and takes a while sort of attitude here in the States. But um, I mean, we always get there. We'll get there one way or the other. I kind of do wish that we had things a little bit more like maybe South Korea because clearly paying somebody paying less for their current LTE coverage is going to be stoked about this. What more speed, better service, less cost. I mean, mean, and and we will. You're absolutely right. We will get there. We we will have T-Mobile, maybe T-Mobile and Sprint will be merged by then. But we'll have T-Mobile, Sprint, AT&T and Verizon and and a few other regional carriers bringing 5G service. There's a bunch of MVNOs. So, well, we have some competition here. It's just it's not this orderly uh, service, partly because, you know, these these companies in the United States are covering a much larger geographical area uh, Mm -hmm. and 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 everything. But uh, in two years. 5G service in both of these countries is going to be widespread and available. Yeah. Yeah. Adobe announced it is bringing content aware fill to After Effects. If you're a Photoshop user, you might be familiar with this. It's been around for a few years now. Content aware fill fills in deleted objects in a photo with appropriate pixels based on what is around it. And After Effects, it will do the same, but with video. Motion picture powered by Adobe Sensei, its AI platform. To fine tune your results, you can create a reference frame within Photoshop. So the two work in conjunction. Scott, I'm curious to know because I know you work with uh, Creative Cloud quite a bit, probably most of all of us. Uh, is this something you use? Well, it'll definitely be something I'll play with. Whether or not I use it will depend on how many film projects require a lot of. Uh, editing that would be editing like this. So, so we talked uh, pre-show or earlier when we had a little bit of a meeting about use cases and a good one would be this. You're making a movie set in the old West and you got a gunfight and you have a beautiful Vista shot, uh, a moving panning shot of the two gunfighters facing off against each other. And the editor notice, shoot, one of our vans is sticking out in the scene and is totally visible in the shot. And we'd really like that not to go to the final cut. So Let's get rid of that and do it in a way that is visually unnoticeable. Like you would never even think twice about there have been, there would have been a van there. 
Um, so this like smart interpolation of the data without you having to do much cuts down. It's really a big time saving feature because all of those things were possible before. It's just they were arduous and more process and uh, just harder to do. Um, that's also how it used to be in Photoshop. Photoshop has a feature like this now, like you mentioned. From what I saw in the video demonstration of this After Effects thing, it looks better implemented than the Photoshop one. So I'm curious if some of this will roll back into Photoshop and that'll get easier too. But the fact that they're combining the two apps to say, all right, you've got the image. It's not quite right. So Photoshop's here to do a composite which means you can take a shot of the area without the van and say, well, this is what it should be and have that thing be smart enough to say, oh, okay, we see where the fence line ends and where the cloud starts and, and all of that and have it fill it in smartly like that. Huge for editors. Totally. Uh, Enormous jump forward in that regard. And so uh, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be cool. Yeah, this is definitely a feature that editors already have. Um, but yeah, it's the difference between someone being like, oh, I had to paint out that van in the corner right. for eight hours yesterday uh, or, you know, After Effects giving me a little button where it did most of it itself. Yeah, that's the trick, though, right? Because a lot of these kinds of features exist in software to help us shortcut. And when they come out, it's often a wow factor at first, but then if you really get into the complexity of the diff- different use cases, you're like, well, this sort of kind of works, but it's not great or whatever. Uh, those just get better over time. I'd be, be really curious if this one hits the ground as impressively as it looked in that video. Cause if that's, if that's a typical case, we're in, we're in fat city. I mean, that's a really, that's a huge time shave. Well, I, it's it's also interesting to note that you're dealing with m- moving video, right? You're not just dealing with a single plate, an image that you can edit and then and you know composite onto something else. You're compositing. If you're compositing multiple video images, for example, if I animate uh, a two dimensional object on top of moving video, I can do things. Uh, I can do certain things, but you know, if I need to composite out various elements to make like a clean plate or something. It's going to be a much more arduous process. It's not even like a couple hours. It's like several hours because not only do you have to do each one, you have to render it to make sure and go look back at it to make sure you didn't screw up. Yeah, it has to be perfect. And then if this is what they're promising is those 60 frames of of perspective shifting imagery can be healed in this way in a algorithmic way. And it works. I mean, this just, it's, it's an enormous time savings and people can focus on back to the creativity of the product, back to the things that matter about the project and not, Oh my gosh, there's a boom mic hanging out in front of those guys talking. We have to get that one out of here now. Like, and, and, it, and it definitely takes something that used to be a rather skillful task. I mean, you didn't need to be super amazing at After Effects, but you had to know what you were doing right. and it takes it and puts it in the hands of people who might just be starting out. And well, and then you get into the sort of like, I mean, the concept of like, oh, that shopped. Like, we all know what that means. Like, it was like a shoddy way of like filtering out something from a photo or making a photo look different. I wonder how much something like this is going to, you know, raise eyebrows of people who want to be paranoid. Yeah, definitely not. But just the closer we get to 8K, <laughs> the more this stuff becomes obvious, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's true that's of everything. True. Stuff looks good in seven or stuff that looked good in the 80s on a screen in a movie theater now looks horrendous because we're looking at it at even just 1080p because makeup looks funny that close up. So yeah. there'll always be that, but this is such a huge step in a, in a good direction, I think. 
And uh, for those who don't realize it, Content Aware Phil is not a person. It's no. F-I-L-L. It's, it's <laughs> no, that's my new YouTube channel. I will be Content Aware Phil. Come check it out. And subscribe. I'm aware of the content. Yeah. He's friendly. Uh, researchers at UpGuard have discovered several instances of Facebook user information stored on Amazon web servers without restriction, which means anybody who knew to look could find it. It wasn't necessarily found, though. The data did not come from Facebook directly. It was collected by third parties and stored on the AWS servers. So there's a lot of implications of like Facebook did this. Facebook didn't do this. This is another example of the old Facebook policies not being good at keeping people protecting your user data. I'm not exonerating with Facebook when I say that, but it wasn't it wasn't a Facebook breach. Uh, for instance, Mexico's Cultura Colectiva improperly stored 540 million records, including identification numbers, comments, reactions, and account names from Facebook. Amazon has now closed that database after being alerted by Facebook in response to a Bloomberg reporter asking Facebook about it. Another instance from a defunct app called At The Pool listed Facebook names, passwords, and email addresses for 22,000 people. Uh, That one has stopped working in the middle of UpGuard's analysis of it, so somebody noticed it. The fines are a result of Facebook looser policies in the past. Facebook has now tightened up these policies. It is less likely, I'm not going to say it's impossible, it is less likely that third parties would be allowed to collect all of this data. Uh, And then that old looser policy combined with a common practice of storing data on AWS without proper security because someone's either trying to save some time or doesn't realize that that's not a secure server. A lot of times that data is never found by anybody until a researcher finds it and tightens it up, which is good, but it's still not great for stuff to be out there unencrypted. So that's another piece of awareness that needs to get around that if you're storing data any kind of data whether it's facebook or others on aws if it's sensitive you got to make sure you encrypt it uh, so if you're if you're a small defunct app like let's just say i don't know uh three years ago there was an app i had and i'm on my phone and the thing pops up and says um do you want to log in with your with your uh facebook account i say yes and it says all right well this uh, app's now going to have access to x y and z it gives you all these yeah, whatever right, right, things right, right. Those are the policies we're talking about, right? Because then those things get stuck on some defunct apps, AWS build that, that they forgot be, about. That could be what it's from. It could also be you were on Facebook and at the pool said, hey, like our page. Uh, and in the past, liking their page might have given them a little bit of access to your data. Or it may have been, hey, uh, if you like our page, you know, uh, connect with us. Let us access your data. And at some point, you let them access that data. And then they were able to take it. Uh, they they did have to get some kind of permission. You may not have paid close enough attention to notice it, but it could have been through it could have been through Facebook login, or it could have been some other on the Facebook platform event, like what happened with Cambridge Analytica, for instance. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. I just I just always like I have an old AWS that's just sort of sitting there that doesn't do what it used to do. I don't have this kind of data on there, of course, but it's got to be just. I would hope not. Tons of these. That's things. what you would say. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I would say, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think this is, this is one that's it's it's not wrong to be frustrated and upset about this, uh, but it is important to be upset and frustrated at the right things, which is. You know, the fact that Facebook let this happen in the past, which they've already done things about, there's nothing else they can do now about the past and be frustrated about the fact that AWS uh, is is not used properly by a lot of companies. Again, this was in the past. So hopefully companies going forward are using that or at least investigating to find out if they have these instances and getting rid of them before researchers at UpGuard find them. 
That makes sense. A study published by the journal PLOS One or Plus One showed how a machine learning algorithm was used to determine the optimal growing conditions to maximize the volatile compounds that give fresh basil its taste. If you're all wondering, where's the big basil story? I'm glad you stuck around, everybody. Basil was grown in a hydroponic shipping container in Middleton, Massachusetts, which controlled temperature, light humidity, and other factors. Taste was measured by using gas chromatography and mass spectrometry. 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 To determine, yeah, all the science things, to determine compounds known to provide good flavor. That data was then fed back to the ML algorithm. Uh, so. Yeah, so I mean, we can make jokes about big pesto for sure about this because basil is a little <laughs> bit of a weird one. But I think the reason they picked it is because it's easy to categorize without tasting yourself what makes basil taste better. We have a really good knowledge of oh, if these compounds are are available in the leaf. That means it's going to taste better in anything we cook with it, and so that makes it easy to measure. And they can find out if this machine learning algorithm is working really well for a peer-reviewed scientific study it doesn't mean the basil was like the big get uh it's just it just makes for a good experiment well and you know there are foods that are better in certain regions than others i'm not totally sure about basil growing uh, wild in massachusetts but i'm gonna go ahead and guess that it's probably too cold of a climate so the hydroponic thing is like okay that makes sense and if we can have food that is more local to more communities of people who want to get something like fresh basil, which is a wonderful little herb, then that makes sense. Uh, you know, talk to anybody who lives in New York City and they'll tell you, like, we don't understand why people like avocados so much because the avocados are just bad there because they have to travel too far and it's just it's just not a good system. There are certain foods that you want it to be closer to where the end user or the end eater is going to be. Well, and, yeah, and that's, we- that's not new about this. The hydroponics part. Is, is, yeah. is not the big thing. The big thing is using machine learning to optimize plant yield and flavor, uh, which, which still ties into what you're saying, right? If if suddenly yeah, you can it's, use it's hydroponics, just like the next step of what if you can use hydroponics to, to grow avocados that taste really good because you had machine learning optimize the conditions for them, then suddenly New Yorkers go, oh, I get guacamole now. I understand. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. limiting our scope here though because eventually we're all going to have nutrient gruel that will taste however we want it to, <laughs> and this is first steps in that. Like we Rubbing want all our crappy nutrient brick that they hand us in line. We want it to taste like fresh basil, and here we go. Yeah. Nutrient grill. I hope you trademark that. It really sounds good. <laughs> uh, but keep an eye out for uh, for commercial farms and multinationals using autonomous greenhouses and using machine learning to optimize things around farming. It, this is definitely a growing trend. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, who's up? Oh, Tom's up. Uh, well, folks, let me tell you about the U.S. Department of Justice warning the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences. That changing its rules to limit the eligibility of Netflix for Oscar awards could diminish sales for the excluded films and therefore potentially violate Section 1 of the Sherman Act that prohibits anti-competitive agreements among competitors. Steven Spielberg has been advocating to eliminate movies that premiere on streaming too close to their theatrical premieres. He thinks that that means they were made for television and we have the Emmys for that. That's his argument. Currently, a movie just has to have a theatrical run to qualify for the Academy Awards. Uh, we talked about this a little bit yesterday on Good Day Internet because it, it broke after the show, or we at least noticed it after the show. Uh, and I didn't quite understand then what I understand now, which is the Department of Justice is saying, is trying to argue 
if you, a group of competitors of Netflix, the Academy, rule that Netflix can't be eligible for awards, and because, if you accept this next tenet, awards help drive revenue for movies that win awards, uh, the Green Book, for instance, uh, became a much uh, more revenue-generating movie after it won the Academy Award for Best Picture this year, then you are using your competitive behavior to drive down the revenue of a competitor, and that would violate the Sherman Act. That would be anti-competitive. That would be antitrust. It is odd that the DOJ preemptively took this measure, I suppose, but I actually thought they were, I thought it was a little really odd yesterday. And now that I, I walk through this, I'm like, I'm not sure if you can show in a court that not, not being eligible for an Academy Award drives down sales, but it's an interesting thought. Yeah, I have a, I have a solution to all of this and it's not, and nobody likes what I, my solution is. <laughs> I don't think yet. Maybe tell me if you think it's all right, great. Lay it on us. Yeah. They've got this whole thing of like, well, <clears throat> Spielberg's take is, uh, and I'm, 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 I don't want to go too far out into the larger argument, but I, but his basic take is, yeah, this stuff is made for a television, therefore TV, and therefore Emmys, and if it's in theaters, therefore Oscars. I think we should just stop making the distinction and just say, is it a movie? What's that limit? Is it ninety minutes? Is it two hours? Is it that it ends there and there's no other movie unless there's a sequel later, two years later? What is an actual film? And that's what you do at the Oscars and anything that qualifies, including movies that were made just for TV. And I mean, regular over the air terrestrial TV, they can compete in that same space and all the, uh, all the biases and things that already exist in making movies get what awards or whatever, they will still be there, but we just don't have to have this distinction about where I saw it. It should be about the two hour thing, not the venue in which I consumed it. Right. Or I don't know. I mean, sometimes time can be a little problematic because you could have a really great film that's, I don't know, 75 minutes. But maybe it's like, is it uh, is it is it one uh, uh, movie in itself? Like, is it like a self-contained thing? Is it episodic? Maybe that's the distinction. A lot of we films make. are episodic, though. Harry Potter. You got, you sure. Know, sure. Those are sequels, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. I guess there's I, I would say that. Many films that become episodic aren't necessarily episodic to begin with, though. It's just that they made a lot of money. Well, yeah. but so should Lord of the Rings 3 not have won Best Picture because it was the third? No, it was a wonderful movie. <laughs> that was a great movie. Well, but I it think was the third, third in, a, in a series. Right, right. But Lord of the Rings probably, even though it was, yes, based on, you know, a, a huge uh, novel base, like probably wasn't pitched to whoever was paying for it as like, we're going to have four. Well, actually, now that I think about it, they probably did pitch it that way. They did. They but not to the yeah. public necessarily. No, yeah, it was, he, it was put, we're going to do a three-part series. We're going to tell the story of Lord of the Rings in three movies over the next several years. It was yeah. absolutely. Assuming the first one succeeds, we'll make the other two is basically how <laughs> no, they, they, really they shot them all at once. That's my right. point. They, well, didn't, that's even, true. they, they did. didn't even You're hinge right. it on the success of the first one. So that's why we need to not have any of these restrictions. In fact, forget about yeah. the time restriction. Forget about whether there's sequels planned or otherwise. Just the Academy, if it's a thing to watch and it isn't a bingeable TV show, <laughs> then then you've got your st- I know it's more complicated than but this. Yeah, but, but even if it's bingeable, then it's like some of those are really good. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's one giant award. Maybe the Golden Globes had it right the whole time. Maybe they're the ones with all the weird categories and the strange uh, <laughs> TV movie combo. Maybe they yep. know what's up. I don't yep. know. The real yep. award is the friends Hollywood we made along Foreign the way. Press. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, uh, Patagonia. Let's move on to Patagonia. Not the place, but the company it says it'll stop creating branded products through its corporate sales program without certain standards in place. You might say, what are we talking about? Well, there seems to have been quite a few at Patagonia branded uh, um, fleece uh, overcoats, vests. vests, right? That that had Bro been sweeping vests. certain parts of Silicon Valley and New York and Wall Street and the like. Patagonia says that it has shifted its focus to mission-driven companies that prioritize the planet. Patagonia is a B Corp. That's a business that meets certain environmental and societal and transparency standards and is certified by a private organization. That's what Patagonia is as a B Corp, and that's what Patagonia says it wants to uh, uh have relationships with going forward. Existing corporate customers will remain in the program though, and still be able to order more branded items from Patagonia. So more vests and also fewer vests. B Corp is often referred to as a public benefit corporation. If you've heard that name, that's, that's also the kind of thing that a B Corp is. And so Patagonia is staying true to its mission saying, look, uh, we want people to be wearing our cool vests on wall street when they ring the bell uh, with, with companies that we believe in on them. Uh, and if we think a company is doing something that's bad for the world, um, we're not, we're not going to make that branded vest for them anymore. So there that'll teach you wall street types. <laughs> I actually, I, I was not familiar with the Patagonia vest. Um, although the story came across one of my kind of networks this morning and a friend of mine who lives in San Francisco was like, our long national nightmare is over. And I was like, <laughs> what? Why? I don't even know about these vests, yeah. but it, it, it's definitely something where it's, it seems very regionally focused, but uh, it uh, was sort of starting to run rampant and the company probably got a little uncomfortable with They're what also, that message was. It's also, I mean, these are a very high priced maker of, of specialized clothing. The vests are one thing. I'm looking at a jacket here. It's like a windbreaker, $489, a pair of pants, 419 What? Yeah. It's well, not cheap. No, uh, I mean, they, they, but, but it's a public benefit corporation. So it's, right. not, it's not just totally. money grubbing. It, it, it is required by its charter uh, to prioritize things like, environmental welfare uh so beatmaster says in the chat room will the doj come in and make patagonia do it no uh they are they're following the law by 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 this legal charter this b corp type of of charter to say yes it is actually in a violation of our own company standards uh to provide these vests uh, these branded vests to companies that that are in in opposition to our values. Yeah, and to, to his pointed point earlier, the DOJ sp- stepping into this Spielberg versus Netflix idea or the changing of the rules—that's also them doing that. There's the Sherman uh, Act is kind of there's law in place that protects from anti-competitive behavior, and they think this might be one of them. So this isn't just some weird draconian poke my stick into everybody's business and tell them what to do kind of thing in both cases, I think. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Hey folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com. And also thanks to everyone who participates in our subreddit. You can submit stories. You can also vote on other stories and get them onto a potential show. Dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com is where to hang out. Also, if you like hanging out on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow is your new favorite group. Let's check out the mailbag. Let's do it. This one comes from Scott. Uh, Scott was talking in response to this idea that Google Plus was shutting down. We talked a lot about whether or not Google shuts down 
too many of its own projects. Scott says, the trust that Google would keep Stadia around is an important one. A critical difference between Stadia and other Google services is monetary. While things like Inbox or Google Plus and so on were free, and so their demise was more tolerated by their users, with Stadia, Google will be asking for actual serious monetary investment on an ongoing basis. Whether it gets sold as a service, which over time would result in a substantial yearly cost, or a marketplace where users can buy digital games, the blowback should get Stadia should Stadia get canned after a few years would be massive. And I feel that this point is very much on the mind of gamers. Google is seriously underestimating the damage that their kill happy legacy has done to their brand, and this is going to seriously mute Stadia adoption by gamers who won't want to lay down that sort of money to invest in a gaming service. They cannot trust. I do not necessarily agree with the last paragraph that gamers are, they haven't been ripped off yet. Right. There's no preemptive yeah. ripping off here happening. Yeah. However, I agree. Not showing with, his I, cards a bit. Right. I agree with him that gamers will revolt and so will other aspects of the market, uh, the, the, the industry itself. If Google did do like three years of this, go, ah, eh, we don't want to do this anymore. It didn't do what, quite what we thought. That means that people have spent. 60 bucks on games or a substantial amount of money in subscriptions or whatever their pricing model is going to be. I do think that would create a ton of anger. Now, that being said, that doesn't also, that doesn't automatically mean that, um, uh, that, uh, Stadia or Google doesn't have a way to solve that through other means. Here are, uh, everybody who bought this game, for example, here is a code to now play it anywhere you want. It's just a standard, you know, code that works for your console of choice or whatever. I'm not saying they will do that. I'm saying those are options. So I don't, I don't want to I it's I'm torn on this because I agree with him that that Google doesn't necessarily have a track record of let's stick to a thing if it's not immediately successfully financially. However, I don't think it's fair for us to preemptively uh, rage quit them when they haven't done anything yet. And we got an email uh, from someone who wished to remain anonymous who said, I work in the point of sale industry. And what really bugs me is that these stories rarely ever name the point of sale systems. This is the issue. The fact that this affected Earl's chicken guy, Buka, etc., is only the management of the software. The software has the security flaw. And I can tell you, we never get security information updates. Just apply these patches or you are no longer PCI slash PADSS compliant. He's talking about a lot of these point of sale breach stories, which we don't really cover all that often at DTNS, but they get a lot of clickbait headlines out there. As someone who has been lucky enough to not have been part of a breached company, I'd really like to see some transparency from the major players, NCR, Heartland, Micros, etc., in this field. The new guys in the hospitality POS industry are very transparent as they use mostly transparent partners and open APIs. I find them in particular more secure, tablet-based POS, Toast, Revel, etc., Antidote, and Empirically, uh, anecdote, he means, and empirically. Okay, I'm done ranting. I would like to say, however, I feel much more informed being a listener, long-time listener, several-time caller than my peers in this industry. Thank you very much. Thank you, Anon. Mm. Thank you, Anon. Thank you, Scott. And thank you, Scott Johnson, for being Ooh. on the show today. What's yeah. been going on and where can people keep up with it? Well, lots of cool stuff happening. It's as simple as hopping on over on the internet to a little website called frogpants.com. You'll find everything I'm doing there, including shows and other stuff. So go find your uh, your your tonic because it'll be there. <laughs> and if you want to follow my daily ramblings, you can certainly find me on Twitter at Scott Johnson. 
Our goal each month is to get one more patron than last month, and you could be that person that puts us over the top. Become a DTNS member and get an ad-free RSS feed, special episodes from myself, columns from Roger, reports from Sarah, all of that available at patreon.com slash DTNS. If you've got feedback for us, send us an email, would you? Feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We're also live. If you want to join us live, please do so. We've got a great community who chats and, you know, hangs out with us while we're doing it live Monday through Friday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back tomorrow with Justin Robert Young. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. You have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.